just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Monday. Now, this podcast is always hard to do because it's the early morning hours of Monday. It's like midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. So we haven't hit our stride as far as news for the week as yet. We're still dealing with a lot of things over the weekends, which are a lot of times rehashed information. So it's tougher to come up with content for a Monday morning podcast. That said, things will start picking up again Monday morning, and it'll be crazy and hectic all throughout the week. Now, I'm finally getting my land legs back from being in Las Vegas. There's a little bit of a time difference, and just being away from home always makes it tough. Now, that said, I am going to be going out of town again on Sunday through Thursday. And this time, I'm going to Vermont. Never fucking been to Vermont, but I hear it's beautiful. This time, my wife is going with me, so that'll make the trip much more pleasant. I don't like traveling without my wife. I feel, I don't know, I feel like I'm I'm slighting her because I'm doing something and she's not. Uh, If I'm going to hang out with anybody or go on a trip with anybody, it's going to be my wife. And when I don't, I just feel a little bugged by it. So anyway, we're going to Vermont, and here's why we're going to Vermont My wife's favorite season is fall. Now, here's what you have to understand. Um, Coming up on the 14th of October is our 39th anniversary. Now, when we were married, we had to go someplace for a honeymoon, but we had no money. We didn't have a lot of money. So what we did is we traveled up to Bayfield, Wisconsin, which is you know, four or five hours away from Minneapolis. It's not that far, not that hard to get to, don't have to fly. And we went up to Bayfield. And I will tell you, Bayfield, Wisconsin is a beautiful, quaint little town. It's very, very nice. And so since we went up there for our honeymoon with some regularity, my wife and I would go up to Bayfield every year around the time of our anniversary just to relive those moments of the honeymoon and and enjoy the the fall colors and all that stuff, because my wife is really uh, likes that a lot. Now, the problem with Bayfield, it's very small. There's not a lot going on. And by the time we get up there, mid-October, a lot of places are closed, not many people around. That could be a plus, actually. So there's not a lot going on. That's not to say we don't like to go, because we do. There's a big apple fest there that's just fucking crazy. And in those 39 years, my wife and I have never been to Apple Fest. Every time we go up there, it's after the season. Prices go down on hotels and there's nobody around. And we enjoy it. But since my wife works for an airline now, we can fly places cheap or free. She found out that this airline flies to Burlington, Vermont, which sounds like a lovely place. It's right on Lake Champlain. 
she wants to drive over to Sea Lake Placid. I've told you before, I had a friend uh, that was on the 1980 gold medal Olympic hockey team. They played in Lake Placid. It'd be kind of cool to see that. She's a huge hockey fan, so she wants to go. So it just seemed like a place to go. And if we're looking for fall colors, what better place than New England? It was just something we've never done. So that's what we're doing. We're leaving Sunday to go to Vermont, and we're going to stay there till Thursday. Now, I will still do the podcast, as far as I know. I don't know the layout of where we're staying, uh, and I don't want to bother her while she's sleeping, but... I will do everything I can to get the podcast done. That said, this coming week, if there are people out there that uh, want to uh, do the show, listeners who want to do the show, hit me up. I would be happy to do a show with you, and and most of them will run shortly after um, after we record them like I would normally do. But if we get in a tight spot or something happens, I want to have one to put up in case there's some reason I can't record it in Vermont. I think I, I don't think it's going to be a problem, but I like to be prepared and I don't like to leave people hanging. So if you're a listener and want to be on the show, email me this week. We'll set it up. We'll do it this week. And I'm sure you'll have a good time and I'm sure it will sound absolutely wonderful. It always sounds good with the listeners. You know, it's funny. People have said to me, boy, that's really weird. I didn't think, you know, I didn't think having a listener on the show was going to work, but it works great. And I knew it would work great, mainly because it's not a new idea. This is like call-in radio, except with one caller for the show. In my early years of broadcasting, I was producing a lot of call-in talk shows, so I'm familiar with them. I even conducted a few call-in talk shows, and I always liked talk radio, even back in the day. So it wasn't any surprise to me that it would work out. But if you're out there, you want to be on the show, you got something to say, hit me up with an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. We'll get it set up, and we'll get that fucker done. All right, the first story on uh, the podcast today is definitely something I wouldn't even venture into normally because yeah, because I just don't think it's important. But this does seem to have some importance because it does have an impact on our society, at least the younger people in the society. And I just felt compelled to talk about it because I think it's so fucked up. And when I say fucked up, I can only be talking about a couple of people. Donald Trump... Rudy Giuliani, but it's not either one of those two. This time, it's about Kanye West. Now, here's a fucker that is fucked up. I mean, Kanye West literally has some mental and emotional problems. And I always hate to go after him because you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't pick on people that are mentally handicapped. And I believe he is, at least emotionally emotionally broken somehow. He, I think he's shown us that. <clears throat> well, Kanye West got himself in trouble. Kanye West faces new accusations of anti-Semitism after declaring war on Jewish people in a now-deleted tweet he wrote. I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I'm going death con three on the Jewish people. Well, first of all, he didn't use the right word. He said DEFCON 3. The term is actually 
DEFCON 3. But he's out and out saying, I'm going after the Jewish people. Well, that's not a good move, Kanye. Just not a good move. It'd be like somebody else saying, I'm going after the black people. I'm going after the white people. You don't go after people, Kanye. Just because uh, you're successful in your business doesn't give you the right to say anything you want. I always argue with younger people about this. They will say, oh, Kanye's a genius. He ain't a fucking genius. You know, Bob Dylan might be a genius or Stevie Wonder is a genius. All Kanye does is take other people's music, samples it, and then write some hooky hooky, uh, lyric to go with it. That's not genius. That's creative. I'll give him that. I'm not saying that people don't like listening to his shit. But you can't make the comparison between Kanye and Prince or Kanye and Michael or Kanye fucking Stevie Wonder. There is no fucking comparison. It's not even in the same parallel universe. Now, Kanye added, funny thing is, I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew also. Really? I know some black people, African-American people that are Jewish, but I don't think they're the same. You guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone who ever opposes your agenda. A little paranoid, don't you think, Kanye? You sound very similar to your buddy, Donald Trump. His renewed attack on Jewish people comes just a day after sharing screenshots of on Instagram revealing messages sent to Diddy in which West 45 accused the rapper of being controlled by Jewish people trying to silence his White Lives Matter message. Now, did you see that? Yep. <laughs> Kanye had a uh, coat on or a shirt on that said White Lives Matter on it. Do you think he wore that because he believes on the message and all that stuff? Or he wanted to stir some shit up? I'm sure he wanted to stir some shit up. So now he stirs some shit up and he can't believe that shit has been stirred up. Even though that was his fucking intent. The post actually resulted in his Instagram account being suspended. Again, not so dissimilar to... uh, Donald Trump. Just hours after the meta restriction, Kanye took to Twitter to continue the attacks. West's tweets mark the first time in nearly two years since he has posted to Twitter. Now, Elon Musk welcomed his return to the platform, tweeting, Welcome back to Twitter, my friend. After his, of course, now Musk has to buy Twitter. So now he's going to let anybody post whatever the fuck they want. After his initial posts were removed by Meta, which owns Instagram, Yee, as they call him, called out Zuckerberg's company on Twitter for restricting his account. Look at this, Mark. How are you going to kick me off Instagram? You used to be my N-word, no R. Yeah, that's good. He posted the tweet alongside a photo of the pair performing karaoke uh, at an unknown time. A Meta spokesperson said, We may place restrictions on accounts that repeatedly break our rules. It's unclear what rule Wes broke in that instance, but he has been using the platform with growing frequency to bash numerous people, including his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, which I'm cool with because I'm not a big Kim Kardashian fan. 
It's been an active weekend for the mogul on social media as he went after Mark Zuckerberg for restricting his Instagram after he posted a now-deleted private conversation with Sean Diddy Combs. In the text exchange, Combs tried to get West to stop sporting shirts emblazoned with White Lives Matter. I'm trying to talk to you as a black man, and I'm talking to you because this is hurting our people. West replied, anything you text, I will post. The rapper and fashion mogul kept his word, posting the entire exchange to his 18 million followers. <laughs> I'm sure Diddy's happy about that. I mean, even the rappers think this fucker's crazy. The series of texts ended with West accusing Combs of being controlled by Jewish people and anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. This ain't a game. I'm going to use you as an example to show the Jewish people that told you to call me that no one can threaten or influence me, West wrote to his friend Diddy. He reportedly captioned the post with the text exchange, Jesus is Jew. The American Jewish Committee has since condemned West, saying his post was dangerous. West also recently sat down for the interview with Fox News' Tucker Carlson. Well, of course he did, after he returned from Paris Fashion Week, where he sparked controversy with his White Lives Matter shirt. He told Carlson the shirt came from his energy and his connection with God. Yeah, tell us about it, Kanye. I do certain things from feeling. I just channel the energy. It feels right. Hits using a gut instinct, connection with God, and just brilliance. He said, adding that the idea of him wearing the shirt was funny, and his father, who he claimed is a former Black Panther, thought so too. I said, Dad, why do you think it's funny? And he said, it's just a black man stating the obvious, he told uh, Carlson. That was my favorite response because I kept thinking people are looking for an explanation. And people say as an artist, you have uh, don't have to have an explanation, but as a leader, you do. Now, as I've said all along, there's something off about Kanye West. He is a, clearly a narcissist because he's so attracted to get as much attention as he can. He buddied up with Donald Trump, and then he ran for president himself. And I remember saying, oh, no, Kanye's going to run, and it's going to screw up the Democrats. No, it wasn't. Kanye wasn't a serious candidate, even though the Republicans fed him a bunch of money because they thought, well, we'll get Kanye in there, all the young people will vote for him, and then we'll beat Joe Biden. How'd that work out for you? Didn't work out for you, did it? Dumb motherfuckers. You know, the importance of Kanye West in this country in politics and anything can fit on the head of a needle. Literally. He's not important. I don't know how important he is to the music industry, but clearly the guy's got some issues. He probably off meds that he should be taking. I don't know. The guy, the guy just annoys me. And I don't care if he can write a hit song. I've known people who have written hit songs that I fucking hate because they're assholes. Kanye West is an asshole. 
He tries to do exactly what Donald Trump does, try to create uh, intrigue and attention by the media by doing crazy shit because he's nothing more than a shit stir. This is the way he gets his attention and hopefully turns it into money, just like Donald Trump. Actually, Kanye might be a little sharper than Donald Trump, but they're equally as emotionally broken. They're like fucking peas in a pod, to be perfectly honest with you. And Kanye, he can wear whatever shirt he wants. I don't I don't give a shit. If he thinks it's funny to wear White Lives Matter, that's fine. Because the people that are going to come after him aren't people like me or you, uh, the rational boomers, because we don't give a fuck. But the young black people and the young white people that are his fans are going to question it, give it some credence, and probably push back on him. All I got to say is, I'm sorry I had to bring it up on this podcast because I don't think he's worth bringing up, but this is a big news story now, so I thought at least we'd talk about it. And in the end, we should say one thing about Kanye. Fuck Kanye West. Who cares? All right, we got another uh, fucking idiot. Excuse me for my language, but by now you should be used to my language. Uh, U.S. Senator Tommy Tommy Tuberville, former football coach. Must have been a real good one, too, because he's not fucking coaching anymore. U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville speaks or, or spoke during a campaign rally at Minden Tahoe Airport on October 8th, 2022, a couple of days ago. It was with the Trump rally. Former U.S. President Donald Trump held a campaign-style rally for the Nevada GOP candidates ahead of the midterm election on November 8th. U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville on Saturday said Democrats are in favor of reparations because they are pro-crime. What the hell does that mean? Tuberville from Alabama made the comments while at a rally held by former President Donald Trump in Nevada. They want reparations because they think people who do the crime are owed that. Tuberville said the crowd cheered behind him, and he said, it's bullshit. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's work this out. We know what reparations refer to. They refer to people who came out of slavery, who were treated horribly. And even after slavery, they were continually treated horribly. People of color, African-Americans. You know, up through the 60s and 70s, racism was accepted. People will say to me, did you ever think or say anything racist? Yeah, I did when I was in the 60s and 70s, because that's what the fucking culture was all about. It was accepted back then. But then as you grow up, become an adult, have some common sense, meet some people, you realize, well, that's pretty fucked up. In spite of what my parents or grandparents would have done, they were clearly fucking wrong. After time, you learn a lesson, but Tommy Tuberville here has not learned any fucking lessons. So what he's saying, Democrats are in favor of reparations because they are pro-crime. So the idea of paying reparations to uh, people of color for slavery and any number of other racism and, and, and prejudice that they've suffered under for the last 150 years, um, 
is because they support crime. So that would suggest that the people that they are looking to give reparations to are criminals. And since they're all people of color, this fucking idiot is basically saying people of color are all criminals. Now, I'm not sure if that's what he meant, because he's not a very bright man. But that's what he said. And he's a U.S. senator. And what a U.S. senator says has some power. He is a perfect representation of the Republican Party. It's everything we knew about the Republican Party as far as their racism. But he's saying it out loud. That's how arrogant and blatant the Republican Party is now. All those things that we'd be appalled by or upset by or they would get canceled by, they're now saying it out loud. And why? Well, there's a good reason why. Because they're cornered. They're fucked. They have no place to go. They can't even couch this shit anymore. They need to stir up the base as much as they can. They aren't gaining more votes. They have to get more of the base out there to vote. That's their only opportunity. But if they got every member of the base out to vote, got them whipped up and upset and screaming their racism, misogyny, and anti-Semitism, it ain't going to be enough. These people are desperate. They're saying the quiet part out loud. And in the end, when the midterms are over, see, they're, th- they're, 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 they're throwing it all at the wall now. They're Throwing a Hail Mary. But if that Hail Mary doesn't pan out, then you've got to live with that for the rest of your life. So they're taking a huge risk here. And when the midterms come back for the Democrats, now they're going to be pressed. Now they're going to be questioned. Now they're going to be canceled going into the future. And they're too stupid to understand that. Or too arrogant and too desperate. I'm not sure which. Maybe a combination of the three. Well, since we're talking about arrogant, stupid, ignorant, dumb motherfuckers, let's talk about Donald Trump. Now, he took classified documents from the White House to his Mar-a-Lago estate, as, as we've said. He sees that as a get-out-of-jail-free card in the event the government should try to pursue charges against him after he left office. From his, And this is said by his former attorney, Michael Cohen. That's what he sees it as. Now, he knows Donald Trump very well, but I think that point is well taken. He's always trying to game the system. You know, he thinks it's cool to have the documents. He maybe wants to sell the documents to make money. But this is why he's still holding on to documents. He sees it as leverage. We already know from yesterday's podcast that he tried to cut a deal with the National Archives. I'll give you your top secret documents back, but you've got to give me the documents show that I did not meddle with the Russians in the 2016 election. <clears throat> See, that hanging over his head here. He knows people are going to come to that and say, you didn't even get elected officially because you cheated. <clears throat> And he wants some verification of it, which is ironic because he's going to go to jail for other shit, but he wants to get that clarified. That's how delusional this dumb fuck is. Cohen says that's exactly what he saw in these documents. He said on Salon Talks podcast, you want to play with me? Really? 
I was the former president of the United States. I have documents that are so damaging to this country's national security. Go ahead, indict me, try to throw me in prison. See what happens. What happens is he turns over all his classified information, not as if he hasn't already done it, but he turns all his classified information over to our adversaries, right? You want to play that game? No problem. And I think Michael Cohen is on base with this. I think he's maybe on to something. He said his former boss would do anything and everything in order to protect himself, plain and simple. I think that goes without saying. He doesn't care about this country. He doesn't care about democracy. He doesn't care about QAnon, he added. He doesn't care about the independents. He doesn't care about Republicans or Democrats. He cares about one thing and one thing only, and that is Donald J. Trump. And that's something I've said all along. <clears throat> I know the personality, and uh, it is narcissistic. And when you're narcissistic, you only care about yourself. You will burn every bridge, scorch every acre of earth just to save your ass. Cohen and others have made similar predictions since the FBI executed a search warrant on Trump's Florida compound on August 8th to retrieve sensitive government documents he unlawfully took there. Now, during a CNN interview later that month, Cohen said Trump likely viewed the documents as a bargaining chip should he be indicted. The second they would put him in handcuffs, he would turn around and say, I have the documentation showing, for example, where our nuclear launch pads are, Cohen guessed. Now, last month, Senator Tim Kaine, who serves on the Armed Services and Foreign Relations Committee, said he had a similar gut feeling about Trump's reasons. I spent a lot of time in secure Senate facilities. I know what this information is like, he said. The reason Trump took this with him to Florida was probably to try to either sell it or have it as a get-out-of-jail-free car. Now, during the August 8th search of Mar-a-Lago, officials were able to recover at least 20 boxes and 11 pieces of pertinent documents. Trump was found to have more than 300 classified documents in his possession, including 150 that he returned to the National Archives. Last week, the New York Times reported that the Justice Department believes there are still more documents, and that's important. Cohen, who served time in prison after facilitating a hush money payment to porn actor Stormy Daniels to keep her from disclosing an alleged fair with Trump before the 2016 election, has since authored a second critical book about the president, Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics. That's due out later this week. And honestly, I think Michael Cohen's on to something. He understands the personality. He understands the thought process of somebody like Donald Trump. And uh, Donald Trump will do absolutely anything. So the question is, what does Merrick Garland and the DOJ do? Do they keep fucking around? Do they keep letting them have this leash? I don't know. At some point, you just have to arrest him and then overwhelm him at all his properties to get everything. You know, maybe that's what they need to do. They need to set up the FBI in Bedminster at a Trump Tower and at uh, Mar-a-Lago and go in, cuff them, arrest them, and pull them out at the same time they're going through the whole thing and grabbing as many of the documents as possible. Now, Donald Trump may want to make this threat 
to give it to our adversaries or our enemies, these documents, but they need to overwhelm him in this situation. There's no winning it if you let him fuck around continually. There has to be some resolution to this because even though he might be using it as a bargaining chip, the fact that he still has it might mean that it's in dangerous hands. So we've got to stop the bleeding here. We've got to stop this at all costs. And I think that's ultimately what's going to happen. Merrick Garland is going to get tired of playing these fucking games and dealing with all these distractions and diversions and shit, and eventually he's going to have to do something. Donald Trump is really forcing Merrick Garland's hand. He could have tried to... Uh, handle this with kid gloves and tried to be decent. I mean, he did when he did the search. The FBI didn't announce the search. Donald Trump did. So now we're at a point where Donald Trump keeps throwing himself under the bus, and it's becoming embarrassing for the DOJ and Merrick Garland. At some point, they're going to have to come in there and just haul his ass out and overwhelm the situation and hope against hope that they can get the documents before they're disseminated to somebody else. But, you know, to be honest with you, they may already have been. So maybe he's using it a leverage, but that leverage has already been used because who knows what the fuck he did with it. We can't sit here taking risk anymore. We just got to go at it, hope for the best, and take this motherfucker down. As long as he's talking, as long as he's walking around, he is a danger to this country. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Well, I referenced earlier about a um, rally that Donald Trump had in Arizona. You ever notice it's always in Arizona or some red state? He never goes to a blue state where he might do some good if he could persuade some people, but he needs the adulation. But if you look at these rallies, you see fewer and fewer people are coming to it. He even said in his rally, he said, you know, when I had the biggest audience... January 6, 2021. Yeah, no shit, you dumb motherfucker. Now, during his rally, former President Donald Trump falsely accused Democrats of putting a trigger warning on the Constitution. I don't even know what the fuck that means. He then went off on a rant against Democrats, claiming they are the ones who destroy documents and they plant documents, he continued. And this is, this is such a tired strategy. I mean, he always does it. It's all about projection, and you can almost guarantee anything he's projecting on somebody else is something he's doing. And in this situation, of course, that's true. I mean, we have evidence that it's true. He goes on to say, they plant documents. Let's see, is there a book on nuclear destruction or the building of nuclear weapon cheaply? He said, sweating in the Arizona heat. Let's put that in the box. Let's put that in with Trump. Now they plant documents. They have a terrible reputation. Look at the kind of things. This is just a small part of what I've read. And who would want to be with them? We're safer in a Chinese restaurant. Holy God. This guy can't help but make racist comments. But you see what he's doing here. He knows in these boxes there are some nuclear documents about nuclear weapons, right? He knows that. Um, And so does the DOJ, and he's going to go down for that. But when it comes out, he said that so he can say, see, I told you they planted them. 
I mean, he thinks that's a legitimate defense. He thinks that's a legitimate strategy that's going to work for him. And maybe in years gone by, that sort of thing might have worked, but it's not going to work in this case. Donald Trump is cornered, doesn't know what the fuck to do, and he's throwing anything against the wall he can get. He's like a monkey in the zoo taking his own shit and throwing it at the crowd. The people that believe everything that he says gladly accept that monkey shit right in their face. Now, immediately after stolen government documents were seized at Mar-a-Lago, Trump began claiming the documents were planted. When reports surfaced that there was a nuclear information in there, Trump flew off the handle on his personal social media website, his shithole little true social. He categorically denied that he had such a document. Well, he, we know he has. Trump then found a supportive judge in Florida that he went asking for documents to be returned or blocked from the DOJ from investigation. In their response to Trump's filing, Justice Department showed a photo of the folders of the documents showing they read top secret or classified, as well as a slew of abbreviations under which classifications fell. Now, one of those abbreviations was about nuclear programs under the Pentagon. So he knew that. And, you know, instead of addressing the fact that he was proven to be lying, (laughs) he was trying to dissuade people from believing that picture because I just wouldn't leave them laying around on the ground. I'm not a slob. Well, Donnie, you missed the point. This was a photo set up and taken by the FBI. You didn't have to leave them on the floor. They got them out of your fucking desk, for Christ's sake. Man, is so stupid. Former Assistant Director of Counterintelligence at the FBI, Frank Figlusi, uh, explained that among the folders were references to special access programs that were formerly under the Atomic Energy Act but moved to the Pentagon for defense. Figlusi said, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. Even a discussion of the nature of special access programs becomes problematic. That's how sensitive they are. It's a project-oriented. It could be long-term research that the government's doing on some incredibly sensitive technology. It could be the next iteration of a nuclear program or submarine. It could be a new weapons plan that's been worked on. It could be a new effort to insert people into certain terrorist organizations. We just don't know. But we know it's time-sensitive. It's the most limited access you can get, and you get briefed in and out every time you look at it. It was then that Trump began losing support among at least one Fox host. During the rally, Trump also falsely said that the documents are mine. No, they're not, Donnie. Check check the Constitution, you dumb fuck. In fact, every document created for the government business by a uh, uh, A government employee belongs to the government. Trump even went on to falsely characterize the documents as being mine under the Presidential Records Act. So clearly he doesn't even know what that fucking thing means. The exact opposite is the case as the Presidential Record Act is why they do not belong to Trump. It's even to the point of those love letters he exchanged with Kim Jong-un. Now, those were personal letters, but they still belong to the government because they were created while he was president. He doesn't have a right to those documents or any documents for that matter. He always tries to say, well, Obama took a bunch of documents. No, he didn't. Another group took them. An official group took some documents to build 
the uh, Biden library, but Obama took nothing out of the White House. So that's absolute bullshit. And this is typical of Donald Trump. But he throws out there, there could be nuclear information on there, and they're going to put the blame on me. Well, yeah, because you stole the motherfucker. As I've said before, Donald Trump is flailing. He doesn't really know what to do. He knows he's fucked. His last-ditch effort is to try to hold some of these documents hostage, and that's why he still has them. Michael Cohen thinks that, and I think that as well. That's the only natural reason for him to continue to hold these, because he knows as long as he's holding these, he's in more and more trouble. So his reptile mind is trying to figure out a way to game the system so he can overpower or bully these people into letting him go. I can tell you this, it's not going to happen. I mean, he can try to hold these documents as leverage, but as far as we know, he's already disseminated these fucking things to enemy countries all over the world. We don't know. So the best thing to do is get it done over as quickly as possible. Well, we now know that the January 6th committee is coming up Thursday. Just a few days. Remember when the committee hearings were the biggest story in the news and everybody was excited, all kinds of information came out? It's going to happen again starting Thursday. People are going to be whipped up, and we are going to see shit we never imagined. Already videos have leaked from documentaries about Roger Stone's involvement in the attempted overthrow of the election. While the House Select Committee hasn't revealed the specifics about the issues they'll address at the October 13th public hearing, they have indicated that there are a lot of unanswered questions they intend to address. Now, speaking to MSNBC on Sunday, the Guardian's Hugo Lowell explained that they got at least 68 minutes of clips from the Danish documentary about Stone and all of his activities telling various reporters, calling various people connected to the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. This is not looking good for Roger Stone because they were all documented. And it's really going to be the center on these political operatives outside the White House, aside from the administration, who played such key roles in fomenting of the language and on wrestling up the January 6th insurrection. He said, I I think they'll play a center stage. The committee also has a number of unanswered questions that they want to get into. It's not clear whether they will feature at the hearing, but some of those include stuff like why Trump fired Secretary of Defense Mark Esper around the time of the election. That laid the groundwork for January 6th to take place. Had Mark Esper been in the Defense Department, uh, things would have played out differently. Mark Esper probably would have sent the National Guard out first thing. Donald Trump didn't have that kind of control out of, over him, so he fired him and put some lackey like Mike Flynn's brother in charge. Now, Lowell went on to note that the committee is expected to finalize a report detailing the information they've gathered, including some of the facts they've learned that haven't been major focuses of the public hearings. Now, the thing is, people are thinking this is the last one, and I'm not so sure. They're going to have to pull a lot of things together in this one hearing, and I doubt they'll be able to do it. Now, 
there will at least be one more presentation after this hearing. There will either be more hearings or there will be a presentation, a kind of a, uh, a summation, if you will, of what all these hearings meant. And it will be exploded out there on the country. And once again, people will be talking about it incessantly. Now, he went on to say, I don't think it'll be so much of a formal referral. It certainly seems that the conversations are headed, he said, not least because the DOJ has already opened multiple investigations, whether it's through the rally organizers, the people actually that stormed the Capitol on January 6th, and as you mentioned, the seditious conspiracy trial going on right now with the Oath Keepers, and also the fake elector scheme where the Justice Department issued 30 or 40 subpoenas to people close to former president, including the people that were at the White House and went down to Mar-a-Lago after the presidency. I think the January 6th committee is very cognizant of that, but they are in a position where they think they have enough to say Donald Trump and the people around him committed crimes. And they want to make that statement about that. And, yeah, I'm almost certain that to be the case. <clears throat> and it will uh, it will be interesting. There's all kinds of people talking about different things for this next hearing. And that's why I'm thinking there may be that more than one hearing. Maybe they'll get a second one in the month of October. That would be nice. Do one on the 13th and then maybe do one on the... I don't know, the 25th, thereabouts, walking right up to the midterms. I've always said that. They're going to walk this up to the midterms. They want to keep the narrative high. They want to keep people talking about it. They want the evidence in the foremost of people's minds. So when they come to the midterms in November 8th, I think, when that happens, they know exactly what went on. We know in this country that people tend to forget things very easily. And so they've got to keep it fresh in their minds. Now, there were some comments about a um, Democratic representative from Michigan. Her name is Alyssa Slotkin. Probably never heard of her unless you're in Michigan. I've never heard of her. But she made an interesting point, and it's something I've talked about and many of you have talked about, too. On Sunday, she said she will support President Biden if he runs for re-election in 2024, but argued that the Democratic Party needs a new generation and new blood in power. And I couldn't agree more. I've said this before. The era of the old white man has to go away. You know, that's the thing. People have said, Mike, you should run for office. Well, I'm sorry. I'm an old white man. I don't think I should be elected to office. I think the young people should start figuring out their own future and their own destiny. We've fucked up enough things at this point. So it's time for young people to step up and be in positions of power. He's the sitting president. If he decides to run again, I'm going to support him. The party's going to support him. You know, that has a long history in our country, Slotkin told guest host Kristen Welker on Meet the Press. But I have been very vocal, including with my own leadership in the House, that we need a new generation. We need new blood, period, across the Democratic Party. The White House confirmed last week that Biden intends to run for 2024 after he reportedly told civil rights leader Reverend Al Sharpton that he would seek re-election. 
Two years is a long time. A lot of things can happen. A lot of things can change. I still don't honestly believe that Joe Biden is going to run for the presidency. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. He's going to be 82 years old. Guy needs to relax for what time he's got left. We do need some young blood in here. We need people that are going to be living in the future to decide the fucking future. While Biden saw low approval ratings throughout the spring and early summer amid high inflation and several crises, his numbers have since climbed as he has notched some. He's notched several victories. There's no question about that. He may be the most effective legislative, most effective president legislatively in the history of this country. So that's saying something. He has done some good for the people of this country, unlike Republicans. <clears throat> Now, in the span of a few months, the president oversaw a passage of a historic climate and health care legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act, denounced relief for student loan borrowers, and declared he would pardon thousands of people convicted of simple marijuana positions. And that's just some of them. <clears throat> He's done other things, too. Um, the COVID relief bill, for example. While some Democrats previously said Biden should not run again in 2024, the message appears to be dimming as his poll numbers climb about 46 percent of Americans approve of the job Biden is doing, according to the late September poll. Still, Congress is the oldest it's ever been, according to an in-depth Business Insider report released last month. <clears throat> now, Slotkin on Sunday said Democrats should be seeking younger and more diverse representations in leadership positions. I agree. You got somebody like Pete Buttigieg, very articulate, very knowledgeable, a very talented politician. They should be looking at him. But there are some people in between Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden, too, that are younger. You know, Katie Porter, a very bright woman. Eric Swalwell. A bright guy. There's plenty of uh, candidates for young leadership, and hopefully they'll take that advice. Now, on Sunday, Slotkin said Democrats should be seeking younger, more diverse representation, pointing to not just Biden, but also Speaker Nancy Pelosi. That could get her in trouble and others in top congressional spots. She says, I would love to see some Midwestern leaders in there, the lawmaker said. That's been important to me to reflect the middle of the country. We're here, too. I th- I do think new blood is a good thing. And, of course, she's from Michigan. I don't know if she's trying to tout her own horn or toot her own horn to try to get some leadership. But I think she's on the right track. You know, it's time. We spent all these decades with old white men, and it hasn't gone well, at least in the last 10 years or so. Well, at least since Barack Obama's been out of office, it hasn't gone well with Donald Trump and what the Republicans are doing currently, even though Joe Biden's trying hard to rectify it. It's time we make a fucking change. It's about goddamn time. All right, this is, you know, I hate the only other person I don't like talking about more than Kanye West is fucking Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker is an out-and-out joke. Like Kanye West, I think he has some emotional problems. I think he has some mental incapacity. And with that, he has no business he has, he has no business running a diner 
let alone being a U.S. senator. I heard some people who live in the town that he lives in has said he couldn't get elected mayor here, yet the rest of the country wants to make him a U.S. senator. Fucking amazing. And he's going to get some help, some support. But honestly, I don't think this guy is going to be much help because he's a bigger idiot and criminal than Herschel Walker because he's got more power. Senator Rick Scott, a Republican from Florida, you know, the guy that turned down the help from Joe Biden, but then came back out and said, hey, we need help. (laughs) Apparently, Senator Rick, oh, he's also the guy that said, we're going to get rid of Medicare and Social Security and all those entitlements. Yeah, he's a great guy. I don't even know what his future holds. But he says he will campaign for Herschel Walker in Georgia on Tuesday amid a firestorm spurred by reports the Republican Senate candidate allegedly paid the mother of one of his children to have an abortion. And he asked her another time for the abortion. Now, Herschel Walker is probably the most damaged candidate in all the elections during the midterms. This guy has been destroyed. But somehow the Republicans say, well, let's keep fighting for him. Let's do this. Let's do that. And the only reason they're doing that, it's too late to replace him. Trust me, if this had been six months out, he would have been gone and some other clown would be in there. But now they're kind of stuck with Herschel Walker. So they're going to try to finesse this thing or try to bullshit their way through and try to get him a win. Well, it's not going to work. Scott, the chair of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, will be joined by Senator Tom Cotton, another fucking goofball from Arkansas, on the Georgia trip to stump for Walker. Scott said in a statement to the newspaper that Democrats want to destroy this country, and they will destroy anyone who gets in their way. Let me adjust that statement. The Republicans want to destroy this country. And the Democrats are willing to destroy destroy those Republicans who want to destroy this country. That's how the real sentence or paragraph should read. Today it's Herschel Walker, but tomorrow it's the American people, Scott said, according to the Post. I'm on Herschel's team. They picked the wrong Georgian to mess with. I'm proud to stand with Herschel Walker and make sure Georgians know that he will always fight to protect them from the forces trying to destroy Georgia values. Well, how the fuck is he going to do that if he can't complete a sentence, for Christ's sake? If there's anybody that shouldn't be a fucking senator, it is Herschel Walker. Now, last week, the Daily Beast first reported Walker had pushed the mother of one of his children to have an abortion, 2009. Walker, of course, denied it. Others in the Republican Party, including President Trump, have stood by Walker amid the scandal. The GOP candidate who was backed who has backed severe abortion restrictions during his campaign, is locked in a tight race with Senator Raphael Warnock that would be crucial in deciding control of the Senate. Walker has faced a slew of controversies, including not publicly disclosing three children he fathered, but his family values, allegations of domestic abuse, and concerns he embellished his business and academic successes. I always like when they said, well, he's been accused of domestic abuse. Again, that's kind of couching what really happened. What really happened among all the other abuse that he doled out 
He put a gun to his girlfriend's head and said, I'm going to blow your brains out. That's a little more than abuse to me. That is absolutely assault with a deadly weapon. So, I honestly don't think that Herschel Walker has a prayer to win. Um, You know, one of the things I'm hearing Democrats talk about, and I can't remember who said this. No, I think it was Nancy Pelosi who said this. You know, you can look at polls and you can look at all these different angles. But what this is going to come down to, what this midterm election is going to come down to is turnout. Sheer numbers of people that are going to come out and vote. Now, we know with the midterms, it's typically lighter than the regular uh, presidential election years. And that, that makes sense. But keep in mind, when Donald Trump ran against Joe Biden, we got an unprecedented amount of people who came out and voted. Joe Biden got the most votes for president in the history of this country. And as I've said many times before, it wasn't because um, Joe Biden was this big prize for president. It was because they were scared shitless of Donald Trump getting back in office and destroying this country. Now, we're going to see some of the same attitudes in this midterm election. Maybe not as strong as in 2020, but far stronger than we've normally seen for the midterms. That fear is still there with those people. They understand that if the Republicans get control, we are fucked. And if people were scared during the presidential election, they've got to be equally, if not more scared, about these midterms. This, some people said that, that the 2020 election may be the most important presidential election ever, and that may be true. Unfortunately, it went our way. But I think this 2022 election, the midterms, may be overall the most important and most crucial to this country in the history of this country, especially if it means that we're going to have to have our democracy hanging by a thread, have our country hanging by a thread. I honestly think what's going to happen is that we're going to get an immense turnout. And when there is an immense turnout, that doesn't do well for the Republicans. It helps the Democrats. And that's what it's going to take. We can play all these games. We can do all these investigations. But the only way we win in the midterms is if we have more people, a lot more people coming out to vote. So that means people sitting at home that may not normally vote need to get off the fucking couch, put down the KFC, and go fucking vote. It only takes a few minutes. If you have to work, well, keep in mind, your boss, whether they like it or not, have to give you time to go vote. They have to. So insist on it. This is about numbers. There are more Democrats than there are Republicans, but it doesn't mean anything unless they get up, walk outside, and go to the voting booth or vote whatever other way they decide to vote. It's going to be sheer numbers of people coming out, making the effort, being motivated, and going out and vote. That is what's going to save this country from authoritarian rule, from whatever the fuck the Republicans want to do. It's going to be turnout, and that's what we need to understand. Get out, vote, vote Democrat, and let's shut these Republicans down once and for all.
All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for coming by and taking the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.